All right, well, we have uh, four, four more sermons in the book of Revelation. Uh, looking forward to those. Um, I, I hope that as we go through these last four, you will, you will experience a, a sense of um, hearing the Father's heartbeat for you if you're one of God's people. Just how much God adores you, cherishes you, wants to make you secure. Uh, I, I had the opportunity, our, our oldest uh, children, our two daughters, are running cross-country this year for the first time, and I was able to go to a meet for the first time on Thursday. And, uh, you know, you would think, you know, I played sports all my life. I still play a lot of sports. And uh, you would think that I would be able to handle something like this, right? Uh, one of my daughters participating in, in a sport. This is the first meet I've ever been at for cross-country. And for both of them, as they came up running, and I start cheering, and they, they get where, you know, within a, a earshot of me, so that they're, they're going to be able to hear me yell their name. So I start cheering, and I'm like, come on, you can do it. And, and I try to say their name, and I just start bawling. <laughs> For both of them. I couldn't even say their name. There was, I, I don't know how to explain it otherwise, except for there was just the sense of just being proud of them, knowing how hard they've been working, and it's, I've experienced that, and just, just adoring them. Just loving to see them run. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, right? I mean, we have battles at home. I'm not a perfect dad. They're not, a perf they're not perfect daughters. But I cherish them. I love them deeply. And even as you look in a fallen home, uh, the, the love of a father, love of a mother for their children can be very fierce, can it not? And what... You know, how much greater is God Almighty's love for his people, those he re has redeemed by the blood of his son? It is fierce. And God wants us to feel it and know it and feel secure. So in our passage uh, through the rest of the book, he's going to use different images. It's not the father-son uh, image that he's used other places in Scripture. This is when we're going to see a bride. We're going to see a city in, in a new temple, and in, in a new garden. And we want to think about what is, what is God trying to communicate through these images. So today I have three questions that I'm going to ask. We'll get through uh, 2.3 of them. We're going, to do, it's a, we're going to finish off the sermon next week. Uh, so what I want to do first, though, is I want to read the passage again and pay attention to a couple things. Because the first question is just simply going to be, who is, who is the bride? Who is this bride? How, how is she described? Who is, who is the bride representing? So look for evidence in the passage of who the bride is. And then the second question we'll ask is simply, what is the, what is the, the simple claim, the very foundational claim of the pictures that are being painted? John is, John is being given a vision here, right? And being given certain things to see. What is the simple claim? Uh, and then we'll get to the third question a little later. Let, so let, let me read it uh, once again. Sometimes it's good to just read it twice. So pay attention to those things. Who is the bride? What's the simple claim of the, the pictures? Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, John, come. I'll, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it was having the, the glory of God. 
its radiance like a most rare jewel, like, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, were, there were 12 angels. And on the gates, there was names. The, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on those foundations, there were 12 names. And they were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me, he, he had a measuring rod. It was of gold, and he was going to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Uh, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which, by the way, is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were I mean, they adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, Carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And his twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in the city, because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives its light. And the lamp in the city is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring... Uh, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, John, these words are trustworthy, and they are true. All right. So the, the first question, who is the bride? Uh, I, 
on one level, it's, it's, it, when you think of the book level, if you re remember back to chapter 17, verse 1, uh, we have a very similar thing that happened. Uh, there's a contrast of two women going on at the end of the book, from 17.1 through the rest of the book. If you remember 17.1, one of these seven angels from the seven bold judgments, remember, comes to John. And he says, John, come. I'm going to show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Then he's carried away in the spirit into the wilderness, right? So you have two co a contrast going on. It's the tale of two women or the, the tale of two cities. So the, the first thing about the, who is this bride, it's simply a contrast of Babylon, the great prostitute, right? So John's, John's intentionally giving this contrast. One is, was dazzling during this life and yet ends up judged. One was often persecuted and struggled in this life and ends up beautiful, right? And so there's this great contrast going. But if we go, um, you know, a little bit further and say, well, okay, we see that now, um, but who is this bride representing? Who are, who are, the, who are the people? Or who is the person? Uh, you, I see at least five things throughout the passage that kind of defines who this bride is for us. And the first one that you'll see, it's a people. It's, it's not a person. It's a people. And actually, that's what happens when he, he says, John, I'm going to go, uh, come here, I'm going I'm to take you and I'm going to show you this, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. What, what does John see as soon as he gets carried off? He sees a city. I'm going to show you the bride. There she is. It's a city. So again, we have this mixing of metaphors that happens throughout the book. John hears about a lion, he turns and he sees a lamb. John hears 144,000, he turns and sees a multitude. Here he, he's told, told, I'm going to show you the bride, and what does he see? He sees a city. Because the bride is a people. It's not a single person. It's corporate, which is, is helpful for us to see here, right? Because when you think of, uh, oftentimes in our culture, when we think of God saving a people or making a people, we, we think often individually here, right? It's, it's me, myself. But, but this picture is meant a community. It's a city. Of God's people. So it's, it's simply, we would say, a people. And that's what you see in verse 10. Uh, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem. The second thing we see about this bride in verse 12 is that it's, it makes up, it's made up of the Old Testament saints. So now if, as, as he describes the city, you have a couple names that are written on the city. The first one is given in verse 12, on the gates. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. That representing the Old Testament saints, right? The, the people of God in the Old Testament, those who worshipped Yahweh and walked faithfully with him, the remnant, it's the Old Testament saints. But, of course, there's some other names written on the foundations of the wall. And that's the New Testament. The New Testament saints are represented in verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So as John's seeing the city come, come down, and it's, he's, right now he's only at the beginning portion, seeing the outer layer. First he sees the gates, the Old, Old Testament, the, the, sons of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Now he looks at the foundations of the wall, and there you see the 12, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, representing the New Testament saints. Right? Uh, if you go down further in the passage, verse 24, we see that it's not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Verse 24, 
by its light will the nations walk. Because right? all throughout Scripture, it's, it's been about the nations. It's not only been about uh, the Jewish people, but all who would come under the banner of Christ. Right? So the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So we see that the, the bride is made up of the Gentiles as well. So you have the Old Testament saints, you have the New Testament saints, which is both. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. And of course, then you have that statement in 27 that sums it all up for us. But nothing left unclean will enter this city, nor will anyone who does what is testable or false. But the only people that will be in that city are whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, we've seen that before, this Lamb's book of life. Who's written in the Lamb's book of life? Uh, throughout the book, you get statements like, if everybody was worshiping the beast except for the people whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Right? Everybody's judged and thrown into the lake of fire except those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You, you, you get this throughout the book, and here the only people who are in that city are those who are written down in the Lamb's book of life. So to sum up, if we said who is the bride, it's very simple actually, uh, but I just wanted, to see that, I wanted you to see that evidence. It's the people of God who have trusted in Christ to the end. Right, the, the people who are, have been written in the Lamb's book of life are those throughout the book who keep the faith, who endure to the end, who refuse to bow down to the world, but will keep faith in Christ. Those are the, the people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, I, you know, I, I wonder if you've ever thought about, uh, I know I have, like, man, I wonder... I wonder what it would, would be like to have your name written in the Bible. You know, the Apostle Paul, or Peter, if he was around when, you know, Paul's writing, or Peter, I guess Peter actually mentions Paul, so if he, if, if he was still alive, like, that would be kind of cool, right? Your name written in the Bible. Well, you know, if you're a follower of Christ, you're right here in this passage. The nation's walking. That's you. That's, that's who you're supposed to be referred to. Or if you think about your name is actually written in a book. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you just pause, that, that is meant to be shocking to you. That's meant to be amazing that you would be written down in one of God's book to make sure you end up in the city. You know, my name is mentioned in a book. Like, for real. 2018, a book was written, and I'm in it. I'm in the acknowledgments. Some of you who were here when Dr. Glenn Butner was a member. He wasn't a doctor when he was a member here, though. He was in grad school, and now he's a professor somewhere else. He wrote a book in 2018, and uh, I am in the acknowledgments. It's because we went to this talk, and he just mentions that we went to the talk, and that's what sparked his thoughts, you know, nothing. But I am the first name mentioned in the book. Nonetheless, it, this popped in my head this week, and I went back and I looked at it again uh, to see it. And when I saw my name written in that book, something happened. I just felt, I felt important, like I made it. Like I'm, I'm in the acknowledgments of a book for everybody to read. How many people have read that book? <laughs> ah, bummer. <laughs> my importance level is going down. But I'm in a book. There was something thrilling. So what I did, I texted out a couple people. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, I'm in this book. And I shot a screenshot. And uh, Kirk thought he was great, too, because he's like, well, I'm in a book. 
And so then he sends me a snapshot. He's written in a book. Uh, it's this amazing thing. And really, I mean, those books obviously don't, don't matter. But is it not amazing? Like, your name is written in a book. Now, obviously, like, that, that's an image, right? That God has this book to say, right there, see that's Steve Radomsky. You know, nothing's going to be allowed in this city that's detestable and has done things that, in ways that have rejected God. Yet Steve has done it, but his name's right there. Right there. Look at there. Yep, she's done some bad things too. You, you should hear the, some of the things she said. But there she is, Emily Spikala. She's coming. Brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Christ, enduring in the faith, your name is written in a book. You're in the city. God will get you there. This life is going to have all sorts of ups and downs, but there's coming a day when you're going to be in the city. So that's my first question, just who is the bride? My second question, though, is what's the simple picture of being painted and then claim, what's the claim of it? So if, if you saw the, kind of the theme of, of the passage, the, the pictures being painted there, you, you could break up the passage quite simply. Uh, from 21.9 to 21, we get the picture of a new city. From 20, verse 22 to verse 27, then, we see a new temple. Remember, it says, I, I saw no temple because God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, He is the temple. Right? So we see a new temple. Uh, and then 22, verse 1 to 6, we see a new garden. We've come full circle from the garden of Genesis 1 through 3. But if we press that and we said, okay, fine, I see that. I see a new city. I see a new temple. I see a new garden. Okay. What sort of a claim is God trying to make in the passage about that, about those images? What are they trying to communicate to us? And I think it's quite simple, actually. I, th I think I would just say something like this. Uh, in the end, God's people will be in God's presence. I trust that's not surprising to you. It's quite simple. Uh, but let me just show you how this passage actually tries to demonstrate that. God's people, in the end, will be in God's presence. So the first place we see that is in verse 10. Uh, when, he when John says he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now that, that phrase, the holy city Jerusalem throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, starts to get really picked up. The holy city Jerusalem is the place of God. It's the city of God. Now obviously we would say God dwells everywhere, right? Right? God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. Yet, there is a unique place on earth in the Old Testament particularly where God chooses to uh, dwell uniquely, we would say. And it's in a city. It's in the city called Jerusalem, which is like the capital city of Israel. And within the city, what do we find? There's a temple. Right? And not everybody can go in the temple but once you kind of get through the outer courts, only the priests can, can actually walk into the temple. 
they can go into the first section. Every day they go in. You have a couple things in there. You have the showbread on the north. On the south you have the lampstand that needs to continually be lit. And then on the, the west side you have uh, the altar of incense. And then a curtain. So every day the priests come in here and they make sure the, the lampstand is lit, that the bread is, is still good. And they light the incense every day. Only the priests, though, they can't go past the curtain because inside the curtain you have another room. And that room is called the Holy of Holies. Right? And in the Holy of Holies you have what's known as the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant you have a few things. You have Aaron, the, the, the rod or the staff that budded Aaron's uh, rod. You have the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then you also have a jar of manna from when the people walk through the wilderness. Now, above the Ark of the Covenant, you have two cherubim, these angelic-like creatures, and their wings are touching. And it's between the cherubim that is known as the mercy seat. This is the unique dwelling place of God on earth. So precious that only one person one time of per year could enter into that holy of holies behind that curtain. And it was only the high priest. And it was only on the day of atonement. And it's said that they would put a string on the, on the ankle of the high priest in case he just got struck dead in there. They could pull him out. Because nobody else could go in there. This is the very unique dwelling place of God in the holy city. And wouldn't you know that the shape of the Holy of Holies is a perfect cube? Length, width, height, all the same. And what do we find about our city here as we read it? Verse 15, the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city. With his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, the significance of this measurement is not simply that it's big. It is big. 12,000 stadia is roughly around 1,380 uh, uh, miles, which almost exactly is from this address to Fort Myers, Florida. That's 1,386. So we're... We're talking the, the length of the city is from here to Fort Myers, Florida, which is about a 20-hour drive. Both uh, the length and the width and the height. I mean, that's a tall, that's a tall city there. But it's not just the, the significance, not just the size, nor is it simply the, also the number. I mean, if you, if you notice throughout this passage, the number 12 is, has sort of gone bonkers. It's everywhere, 12, 12, 12, right? But again, that makes up the people of God, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is symbolic, the people of God, which is then here 12,000, is 12 times 10, times 10, times 10. We saw that in chapter 20. Uh, 10 times 10 times 10 is uh, how, how, oft, how long and how securely uh, chained is the dragon. Right? So there's something there, but I don't think that's what he's really getting at. I think it's in that phrase, it's length and its width and its height. Perfect cube. It's the only other perfect cube that shows up in the scriptures besides the Holy of Holies. In other words, the symbol is saying, look, the new city is not only massive, but it is the 
exact, unique dwelling place of God, the whole thing. In the original holy city, Jerusalem, most of us wouldn't be able to go in. But now, we are all in this city. Because the whole city is the unique dwelling place of God. You see? You see, the God's people, in the end, will be in God's place, in the very unique dwelling place of God in that city, because the whole thing is the dwelling place of God. Obviously, it shows up a little bit more clear even in verse 22. I saw no temple in the city. Why? Because its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. God is the temple. And where is God? Verse 20, chapter 2, 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So the throne of God, there is right in the middle of the city. The water of life is flowing right from the throne. And you see it again in verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And then notice, his servants will worship him. They will see his face. In the scriptures, to see someone's face, that's, that's uh, the idea of intimate, intimate relationship. Right? You, you remember the ironic blessing, oftentimes the benediction? Right? Uh, the, uh, his, his face to shine upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and be gracious to you. May his, may his face shine upon you. It's the idea of seeing face to face. Remember when uh, uh, Moses wants to see God, he says, you can't see my face. What do we see here? There's nothing to block it. We see his face. The whole, the whole idea of the imagery, the simple claim, is that God's people, in the end, God's people will be in God's presence. Now, to be in a special place, you know that we'll travel long distances to get into special places. My brother, uh, years ago, when, you know, when the Packers wanted to build like, new stands or whatever, they, they sold shares of the team, so you could be like a shareholder which really means nothing. So my brother is a shareholder, but really gets nothing. He gets like these tickets for Shareholders Day. And they have Shareholders Days at the Packers every year uh, in the summertime. Now he lives in Arizona, so he, he can't go. So he sends the tickets up to us. And I always take the kids uh, the past couple years. And so we drive, we drive all the way to Lambeau for, to sit in a meeting and we literally sit in the meeting for no more than 10 to 15 minutes because it's super boring. Like, it is a board meeting. But we go because one of, the, one of the coolest things you get to do is you get to walk all the way down. You can sit in the front row where you can, you know, you can see the blades of grass. You're right there in this special place, Lambeau Field. <laughs> and we'll drive two hours to go see that for 10 minutes. We'll go to great lengths to see some, some little old place. We're, to, we're talking about the city of God is where we're headed. Or, or think of, think of how, what great lengths you'll go to, to be in the presence of a person you think is great. Or how many times you'll tell the story. I remember once actually 
to stick with the Packers theme, I was up at Bay Beach with, uh, with the family. Yeah, that Bay Beach is, if you've never been, it's a, a family amusement park just south of Green Bay. Worth your time, very inexpensive. Go check it out. But anyhow, we're at Bay Beach, and uh, I'm telling you, um, it had to be closer than for me to Kyle, but probably about that close. I saw Jordy Nelson. It was awesome, too. Like I, I, went, I came back, I was telling Danica, and I was like, I saw him, I saw Jordan Nelson. He was a wide receiver for the Packers at the time. And of course, I didn't go say hi, because I was too scared, you know. But I saw him, I was so close to him. Or one time, I was, I was at a, a conference, and like I was, I think I was in a row three where John Piper was preaching. Like I could see the spit coming out of his mouth when I was there. I mean, how cool is that, right? I have a friend, I won't say his name, but his initials are Kirk Miller, that uh, <laughs> he went to some talk this week, and he thought it was so amazing that he's in the presence of Russell, uh, Russell Moore. He's sending me pictures of, like, now i got a picture of Russell Moore on my, on my phone. What am I going to do with that? But, you know, to Kirk, he was like, I, get, I, got to, I got to see him. Like, think how, what great lengths we will go in to be in the presence of people. Those are mere mortals. Brothers and sisters, your creator, the perfect almighty God, the one who has redeemed you, one day, one day we're going to see him face to face and we will marvel. If you think you marvel at seeing some celebrity, oh, how much we will marvel to be in the presence of our maker and not to be swept away but to be welcomed as a father welcomes a child. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. What a glorious day. So that, okay, so that, that's what I think the simple claim of the text is, right? Uh, God's people will be in the presence of God in the end. The next question I want to ask, it'll take two weeks to do here, or the, the remainder of today, and then next week we'll finish it off, uh, is, is this. What the details about God's people in this place, or the details about God's people in God's presence, what are those details trying to communicate? Like, what is the claim or the aim of the particular details or the particular image that's really trying to go deeper? In other words, one question you might ask is, how are we supposed to feel after hearing this? What are we supposed to receive from it? And so I would, I would kind of enlarge my statement of what I understand the main point of the passage to be, something like this. In the end, God's people will be revealed as cherished, secure, and restored in the presence of God. And I'll work through those three pieces, that God's people will be revealed as cherished, as secure, and restored in the presence of God. We're just going to deal with cherished uh, today. And I think you see that in a couple ways, especially uh, in this first part of the vision. The first part of it is you have this dazzling city, right? And if you didn't catch it, just the great lengths that uh, he goes to just demonstrate how, how dazzling this city is. I mean, he could have just said the holy city Jerusalem, and if you've kind of been reading throughout the scriptures, that's exciting because he's been talking about the holy city Jerusalem uh, that, that's coming, right? The greater city. That, that would be amazing. But he then just spends time just talking about just how the, the radiance is like a most rare jewel, like jasper. 
Uh, clear as crystal in verse 11. And uh, many have pointed out that that clear is probably not super helpful translation, more like uh, shining, sparkling like crystal, uh, as well as later when it's called transparent. It's either like pure or shiny. But look at, take a look at verse 18 uh, and following. He hits a couple parts of the city here. Uh, the wall, the wall is, is built of, of jasper. Jasper being this really precious red uh, stone or gem. Uh, I think we need uh, Nick to give us an explanation of all these jewels here, uh, our sand expert. Uh, the city then, uh, verse 18, he says the city is just, just pure gold. The whole thing is just pure gold. Verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every kind of jewel. And he lists all of them off. Twelve different ones. All rare, all precious. Verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. And each of the gates were made of a single pearl. Now, pearl, I just looked this up. Uh, this, I don't know if that was last night or this morning. But, uh, you know, the largest pearl ever found was, it says, 26 inches by 12 inches. That's the largest one we've ever found here, right? So John, again, this is an image. John's blowing it up. So the largest pearl that's ever been found, 26 inches, what's that? Just over two feet by 12. So it's really not, it's really not that big. Uh, the person actually who found it kept it under his bed for a decade. Uh, and then the, his house burned down, but the, the pearl was still there. It's worth estimated $100 million today for this pearl. So just think, this is just the gates. The gates, each gate made out of a single pearl. Right, John? Th- th- this is lavish, right? This is, this is great extents of God building the city for his people. Uh, it continues in verse 21. Uh, and at the very end, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. This is, this is just a dazzling, dazzling city. If you can imagine... Uh, you know, if you've ever been to someone's house that they, they kind of built, either not necessarily built by their hands, but they had built, and then you show up and they're suddenly, you know, they want to give you a tour of everything that, that, that this place is made out of, right? I mean, this, this though, is like no expense was spared here. <laughs> I mean, how much does each gate cost, like in our dollars, right? I mean, it would, we're talking billions and trillions of dollars at this point. This is no expense spared. I mean, I, I go, our, our kids, they used to do, uh, had this Lego table, and they would build, like, Lego cities. And, you know, they spend days and weeks and months building these cities, all these little pieces and stuff. And then they want to come take you up and show you the city. And they can just talk for hours about everything, every little detail here, right? Because it, it matters, and all the details matter. Here, it's just the city is adorned with beauty. So I think, that's, I think that's a fitting image here of the way, the extent of what God does to his city, the, the beauty that God creates in the city, because it's beautiful. God loves the city, and he cherishes it. Now, when you couple that with the whole imagery of the bride, you might say that God thinks his bride is absolutely dazzling. Right, so here's some videos you can actually, this is what I tried to do as I prepped to try to understand the passage here. So I, I typed in my YouTube and said, I want to see grooms seeing bride for the first time. 
And all these videos will pop up of, of some, of the, uh, some of the grooms that just, they totally lose it. They're, they're, they start bawling. Um, it's something special to see. Because, you know, especially it's when it's set up kind of old, old school and the doors are closed and he's waiting and you can kind of see the nervousness on his eyes. And all of a sudden when those doors open and, and his new father-in-law starts walking down, and he just starts losing it and he can't hold it together. It is something special. Because, I mean, if you could get in the head of the, that, the, the bride-to-be coming down the aisle, what do you think is going on in her mind when she sees that on, on her, the groom? Do you think all of a sudden she's like, oh, is he going to accept me? No, you would, you would think that she feels... She feels cherished. I mean, look at, look at what just the, the look of her is doing to him. And what you would want to hear in the bride at that moment is, there she is. There she is. Oh, finally, finally, there's the bride. Oh, how I love her. Oh, how I cherish her. Oh, how I laid out my life for her. And this is the picture that God wants to paint for his people. And so this is, this is a good place. Insert yourself in here. Can you, can you hear the voice of God saying to you, if you are blood-bought by Christ, I cherish you as the most dazzling bride. Your name is written in a book and I have no erasers. You're mine. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I break down to see you. Oh, I can't wait for you to be in my presence where you see my face, we see face to face. I know some of us, I'm sure, need to hear that this morning. There's that song, all of my sin may shout to condemn me, right? There's no reason in the world that we should experience this. We should be cast off into the lake of fire. And yet in God's mercy and his kindness through Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you of all people, me of all people, by God's grace, Make up the bride of Christ. And he cannot wait. God's crazy about you if you're Christ's. God is crazy about you. But there's another truth that's also true. God is crazy about the church that frustrates you to all get out. Right? Because, you know... As we go through our pilgrimage on earth here, um, you know, we're called to be a part, of a, a part of the church, part of a local church. And uh, there's, I'm sure there's people in here that uh, frustrate you. Yeah? That's life with sinners. But those very people that bother you in the church are also the bride of Christ. Christ is... Christ Jesus is just as crazy about them as he is about you. So the question I think we should be asking then is, is my view of the church, when I'm saying the church, I'm thinking the local church that I'm in, is my view of Christ's bride the same as his? 
Does the way I interact with the church resemble the same type of love that Christ has for his bride? Now, if you're in a small group, that might be one of the questions you'll get to, is try, try to think about someone whose love actually resembles the love of Christ for his church, how they interact with the church, compared with someone who's whose love does not resemble Jesus' love for the church. It's very easy to say I love the church just like Jesus does in theory. But on the ground, what does it look like? What does it look like to love Christ's bride the same, with the same heartbeat that Jesus does? What does, it, what does it mean as we enter into conflict? You know, someone who has the same resembling love for the church, when you have conflict relationally, what, what do you think we would do? We would pursue one another, try to work it out. Someone whose love does not resemble Christ's love for the church, when there's conflict, what, what might they do? Keep it at arm's length, right? Maybe let it fester. And maybe to the point, maybe you've had this, where you, you think of certain people in the church, you think, I can't, even, I can't even think about spending eternity with them. I know I've been there. So I think all of us experience times where our love does not truly resemble Christ's love for the church. Well, it looks like we're out of time there, so we'll end uh, there. Next week we're going to cover uh, this idea um, about the security that this image is meant to give for the people of God, the security and the, uh, the restoration that gets pictured there. But as we go into the Lord's Supper, our Lord's Supper is for all those who who worship Jesus as the Christ, those whose, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the way we know that, one of the evidences of that is that we strive to walk with Jesus in faith. Not perfectly. It's not about perfection, but about direction. If you're here and you're one of those people who are stumbling in faith but repenting in faith, then the table is open to you and we invite you to come. Uh, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, you do not worship him as the Christ, or you're living in sin and refusing to repent, then we ask that you not partake of the elements. Uh, the, the scriptures say that would not be good for your soul. But if you're here and a follower of Christ, uh, let us come and receive the very sign that guarantees that we indeed will make it to the eternal city because his blood has sealed it. So again, come into the inner parts of the aisle and then return back with the elements and we'll partake together. So I don't know how you've come in here this morning, but if there's any uh, sin that is nagging at your heart that uh, maybe you've felt this morning, like there's no way I can be forgiven once again for this. There's, there's just, it just keeps piling up. The Lord's Supper is always a great opportunity to not run away from it, but to look it right in the face and say you're right. I am a sinner. I'm a great sinner who has a great Savior who has paid the full penalty. And the reason I'm going to make it to the eternal city is not because I'm going to do better this week, but because the Lord Jesus has paid the full penalty of my sins and I've been fully wiped clean. Because the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. Sorry, I've got to go back to the bread. <laughs> Mixing metaphors here, just like John. Uh, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. One day, brothers and sisters, we will be there, nothing accursed.
nothing unclean, nothing detestable. We will finally worship Jesus in full righteousness. No more mixed motives. Oh, what a day. We will know we will get there because he has sealed it with his blood. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us stand and pray together. Oh, Lord, uh, once again, we, as best we can, we want to receive the promise of the new covenant again. Uh, just in, in partaking of the Lord's Supper, receiving the, the work of Christ, your promise on our behalf to make us yours and uh, get us to the end. Lord Jesus, you said that you hold us in your hand, the Father holds us in his hand, and no one can snatch us out. So now, God, give us rest in you, and let it stir up patient endurance in us to the end. In Christ we pray. Amen.